Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few moments, please stay with me. It's going to be a time of motivation, inspiration, education, and it'll be done with no manipulation, no hidden agendas, not trying to solicit any money. We are not trying to get you to join up, fess up, give it up, nothing like that. The Flatline is simply a show about giving you accurate content, not asking you for something, giving you something, giving you the Word of God. Hopefully, this will allow you to verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you can do that, you always have the freedom to orient and adjust to the plan. The Flatline is heard every Sunday on this radio station. And sometimes we'll change stations from time to time, move around, because really what we're looking for are those of you that are hungry to grow, hungry to learn, hungry to advance in God's plan. Those of you that want to learn more and become what I call part of the pivot of mature believers. The pivot of mature believers is that group of core group of believers, core group of mature believers that deliver a nation under time of disaster. No politician that we elect can ever deliver a nation. The only thing that's going to deliver a nation is the Bible says, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their ways, then I'll hear their prayer. Remember that passage in Second Chronicles in the Bible? You are the key to this. As goes your spiritual life, so goes the future of this country. If we continue to ignore the giver and enjoy the gifts, we're in for some real problems. I think this country is at a crossroads. I really believe that with all of my heart. And I think the upcoming generation of young people that may listen to me or that I may get a chance to visit or speak to, they are going to have to make some serious decisions about what they believe and where they want to go with their life. So America being at the crossroads, and part of the problem is we have ignored God's Word. We've turned our back on the Word of God. We've been a sucker for human viewpoint and have not followed divine viewpoint. If you have something that you need to do and you say you ask a person, you say, Person A, what should I do? And they tell you, uh, If I was you, I would do this. But then you go to the Bible and you say, Bible, what should I do? And the Bible may say you should do this. Well, divine viewpoint is what the Bible says. Human viewpoint may be what your friend says, unless they give you Scripture or the Bible. For example, if someone does you wrong and someone steals from you or someone uh, gossips about you or slanders you or maligns you or criticizes you or embarrasses you, and you ask your friend what you should, what they should do or what you should do, they'll say, well, I'll tell you if it was me. This is what I would do. Well, that's your first sign of danger right there. Go to what the Bible says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. You see, the real thing that we don't have in our nation today is a little word that we've lost the meaning to. We don't understand, really, we don't understand love. Love is a tremendous problem-solving device. And the more you know about love and the more you use love, the more you can solve any problem that you may have with any person. 
And so how did God solve his problem with us? The world is a place of sin. You and I are born into sin. We are born, as the Bible says, for by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, and now death has passed on all, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. How did God solve that problem of sin? Well, the answer is simple. You know the verse. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He loved us. Love finds a way to solve the problem. How did he do it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave something. When you love, you give. If you understand love as a Christian motivation, you are always the giver, never the taker. You don't take revenge. You don't seek to get even. You give, for example, forgiveness. You might not like that. Because you may rather have revenge, you might rather get even because what these people did to you might not have been nice. It might have hurt you. It might have hurt your feelings. And yet not being a lover but a taker, then you're never going to solve any problem with any people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how God solved the problem of sin. And you can solve problems with love also. Starting with personal love for God, we are reviewing one of our problem-solving devices. Problem-solving device number six on your flight line, personal love for God. This is what motivates you to use divine viewpoint in your life. If you don't believe me, listen to 1 John 5, 3. If you love me, you will obey me. You see two words put together, love and obey. If you love me, you will obey me. How can you be obeying God when you seek revenge? How can you be obeying God when you're bitter? If God himself forgave the world for the sin against him, why can you not forgive one person for their sin against you? Because your sin nature doesn't want to. You feel better getting revenge. You feel better getting even. You've watched too many movies, my friend. And this is where you need to understand, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't ever seek revenge. The Supreme Court of Heaven is open 24 hours a day. And if you have a problem, you turn it over to the justice of God. And the justice of God can handle it. The Bible clearly tells us, judge not lest you be judged, in Matthew 7. So why should I attempt to judge someone and judge the motivation of why they did something if God can do it much better than me? God can handle the situation much better than me. So if I love God, remember 1 John 5, 3, if you love me, you will obey me. If I love God, that's personal love for God then I will use divine viewpoint. I will do what the Bible says. One of the greatest distortions on the part of Satan you need to remember is the area of love. In this angelic conflict, in this day and time in which we live, in the days in which Satan seeks to vindicate himself, he doesn't want to go to the lake of fire. He doesn't want to spend eternity in the lake of fire. 
He wants to impugn the love of God. He wants to say if God was love, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. And yet people forget that God is justice. The justice of God is the guardian of the righteousness of God. And what the righteousness of God rejects, the justice of God must judge. There's no way around it. And justice and righteousness are both part of the love complex of God. God loves you. But yet the love of God can do nothing for you until the righteousness of God is satisfied. So how can the righteousness of God be satisfied and you not have to go to hell? Well, the Bible's clear. He that knew no sin was made sin for us, so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. God solved that with his love by sending Christ to die in our place. When we receive him, we receive his righteousness. And once we have the righteousness of Christ, then the righteousness of God is satisfied and the justice of God is lifted. And we do not ever, ever have to face the lake of fire, not because we're good, not because we obeyed some creed or we observed some laws, but because we have the righteousness of Christ in us. And this is how love solved the problem. He imputed to us this righteousness when we believed in Jesus Christ. Just like he imputed to Jesus on the cross our sins. On the cross, the judgment occurred. And when we believe in Christ, forgiveness occurs. It's an amazing thing. Satan is able to distort love. He has made it an emotional feeling. He has made it all of human viewpoint. If you think love is an emotional feeling, you don't understand it. You have to come to realize the love of God has been distorted by Satan in every aspect of life so that Christians begin to get the concept that if I love God, I shouldn't harm anyone or I shouldn't kill a terrorist or I should love all the sinners. Yes, but that's a different love. I'm going to show you the difference between impersonal love and personal love. And the difference basically is this. Impersonal love is a function that you are required to have from divine viewpoint. The Bible tells you you have to love the sinners, just like God did. But personal love is the motivation to do it. Personal love for God is your motivation to use impersonal love for others. So when you love God, you are reciprocating God's love for you. That's why the Bible says in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. And once I have personal love for God and I do what the Bible tells me to do, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and other verses I'm going to mention. Once you love God and obey those verses, then you can obey, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You see? 
It all starts with your personal love for God. And it is not a, an emotional feeling. It is an obedience. Personal love for God is an obedience. Yes, God is love and God is righteousness and God is sovereignty and justice. There are actually three categories of love in the human race that I can identify. Love for God is one of them. And then a man or woman's love for their partner, right man, right woman type love, love for your spouse. And then there's friendship love, people that you genuinely love and, and, and adore who are friends. And they may be the same sex. That's not a homosexual love. That's a friendship love. And there are two sources for this love. Number one is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, the Bible tells us. And so if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, problem-solving device, number one, using rebound, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Well, I'm indwelled with the Spirit when I'm saved, and I quench the Spirit when I, when I sin, and I grieve the Spirit when I sin. But when I rebound using 1 John 1, 9, or Psalm 32, 4 and 5, when I go to God and admit my sin, then the sin is cleansed and I am filled with the Holy Spirit. At any one time in your life, right now as you're listening to me, and this may be a good question to ask yourself, am I filled with the Spirit now? Well, here's the answer. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, no. But if you have kept a short account of your sin, if you know that you have not sinned and failed to admit it to God, then yes, you are filled. Sin quenches the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And believers can sin. So when we confess our sin or when we rebound, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is one of the sources for the love that I'm talking about. The other is the spiritual life. Living your spiritual life. In 1 John 2, 5, the Bible says, Whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. Because of this, we know we are in him. Did you hear that verse, 1 John 2, 5? Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is in him. We'll go back to a word called obedience and obeying. Why did Jesus Christ go to the cross? He loved his Father. What motivated Jesus Christ to obey the mandate to go to the cross? His love for the Father. Well, if you love the Father, you will keep his word. 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. The love of God must grow, must increase. The more you know about the Word of God, the more you love God. That means the more capacity you have for God, the more appreciation you have because the more you understand what He did. Don't tell me you love God if you don't at least try to obey God. Now, that means in your spiritual life you're advancing spiritually, 
growing spiritually as the Bible mandates. And that means that in your physical life, you're fighting that sin nature lust and sin nature desires. And you're doing your best to say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put myself into that position where I can be tempted. Remember, you have three enemies that are always tempting your flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Always tempting you. And so... You've got to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the only way you can overcome it is by your love for God motivating you to obey God by being filled with the Spirit and growing in grace till you become a mature believer. The two sources of love, the filling of the Holy Spirit and your spiritual life. When you love God, that's the greatest motivation in this world. Motivational virtue is love for God. Love for others is functional virtue. The Bible teaches that in James 2, 8, and 9 called the royal law. And under the royal law, we are to love other people, believers and unbelievers alike. So all believers who become spiritually mature believers, believers that stay filled with the Spirit consistently, not 24-7 because you're going to sin, but when you rebound and recover from the sin, you don't stay out of fellowship for seven or eight hours, whipping it up, say, whoopee, I'm enjoying my sin. All believers who become spiritually mature will have true love for God in their soul. Because that's an essential part of the spiritual character of the mature believer. He will have love for God, and he will have impersonal love for others. That's an essential part of his spiritual character. But you need to remember, love is only as strong as the essence of character of the person who has it. It's not simply an overt expression. It's not simply physical touch. It is much deeper than that. I mean, if I went into a church and I said, everybody that loves God, stand up. I'm sure the whole congregation would stand up. But then if we put it to the test, how do we know if we love God? Are we being obedient to God? Are we staying filled with the Spirit? And are we advancing daily in God's Word? Remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Remember where he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Learn. Study. Grow. Why are these words in the Bible? So that you can become the person God wants you to be. Who is that person? It is a person who replicates the life of Christ. It's a person who represents Christ to his family, to his friends, to his community. It is so that when people see you, they see Christ in you. That's why these words are here. And that's why I stress this so much to you. So many people have the wrong idea of what the Christian life is. It's not all sweetness in life. It's not running around brother this, sister that, hallelujah this, and hallelujah that. I mean, 
Come on, that may be fine, but that's sometimes that can be so phony that it's obnoxious. The real stuff, the real thing where the rubber hits the road, it's when that brother or that sister does you over, does you wrong. And then how do you handle it? Or when life gives you a raw deal and how do you handle it? If you love God, do you get bitter at God and angry at God because you got a raw deal in life? Or do you know that God always, always has your best interest at heart? You love God as long as he blesses you with material things. What about like the book of Job? If everything you had was taken away from you, would you still love God? Blessings come and blessings go. But the source always remains the same. It's not an emotion. It's a mental attitude. And it's always stable. This personal love for God and this impersonal love for other believers and unbelievers alike does not turn on and off. It doesn't appear and then disappear. People that do not have any capacity to love are always uptight people. They are people that have a very little sense of humor. I can't stand being around somebody like that. Someone who takes themselves too seriously. Listen, I don't mean to be crude here, but I'm going to be honest. If God could use a jackass in the life of Balaam the prophet, do you think maybe he might could use you? Does it not redawn on you that God was in business before you got here and he will be in business when I'm gone and when you're gone? So get off the high horse and get off the no sense of humor. It's not a sin to laugh. It's not a sin to cut up. It's not a sin to be funny. You're taking yourself way too seriously. God has a plan for you. And I can assure you the disciples laughed and cut up and had a phenomenal time with the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here. I can't imagine there would have been any place more enjoyable to be than in his presence. I'm sure the Lord was not overtly, deadly serious all the time. Well, there were times when you didn't want him looking at you like Peter in Luke 22:60, when he denied the Lord three times. And when the Lord was led out after being beat, he looked directly at Peter. And that look had to be a look of love because Peter went out and wept bitterly. He thought he wasn't even a disciple anymore. It wasn't a look of hate. I can imagine the most phenomenal look I would ever see in my life would be the Lord Jesus Christ looking into my eyes and by just looking at me, telling me, I love you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you get to heaven to see his eyes and see him look at you with the same love that he had that caused him to die for you? I don't know if we can even comprehend that. You know, experience doesn't make you a good lover. You know that? The two men that knew most about love in the entire Bible never even were married. Paul and Jeremiah. The more experience you have with the opposite sex, probably the further you away, away the further away you are from knowing what real true love is all about. Because experience, it doesn't have any bearing on if you're a good lover. People talk about that. They're a good lover. That's ridiculous. A good lover 
is a person that has Bible doctrine in their soul, a person who is filled with the Spirit, a person who can be kind and forgiving, a person who can be understanding, a person who's not judgmental and not critical. That's the kind of lover you're looking for. Philippians 1.9 talks about that lover and what kind of person he is. And this is what Paul said. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. How does your love grow? Well, Paul just said it, that your love would grow in knowledge and in depth of insight. If you consider love is like a river, and where I live, we've had a lot of rain lately, and the river right now is very much out of the banks. It's very destructive. There are a lot of places underwater right now, homes and cars and automobiles, because the river has left the banks. In your life, the banks that control the flow of love, if love could be called a river, one is the bank of knowledge, and the other is the bank of what? Understanding, insight, perspicacity, wisdom. See, before you can have wisdom, you must have knowledge. Because if you don't have knowledge, how do you know what wisdom is? And so wisdom and knowledge are the banks that contain love that keep it from becoming an emotional overload. When love gets out of the banks, it's destructive. It will destroy. People have killed over love because they let it get out of the banks. That's why you have to understand this. The Word of God in your soul helps you approve the things that are excellent. It helps you to be sincere without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Here it is again. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, that you may be pure and you may be blameless for the day of Christ. Wow, do you mean to tell me that my love for God, my personal love for God, that causes me to grow, gives me discernment, and will I'll be able to understand what is pure and blameless in my life so that when I am presented before him, I will hear him say, well done. Do you want to hear that or do you want to say, have a seat? We'll talk in a few thousand years. But while you were here, you never obeyed God. You said you loved him. You gave your tithe. You went to your church. You sang in the choir. You said you loved him, but you never learned. You never learned how the right thing has to be done in the right way. You went through the ritual, but there was no reality to it. Bible doctrine, the Word of God in your soul, maintains that love that I'm speaking about on an even balance. It does not scatter love on objects that are not designed to be loved, objects that are, should not be the objective of your love. Your love is made and, and given by God to go in one direction to begin with, to him. And when it goes to him and you have personal love for God, then it can branch out to other people because you have wisdom and knowledge and insight and it won't get out of the banks and destroy the people you're loving. Think about it. Man, think about it. There's so much to say about this. I hope you're listening.
Same time, same station next week. This is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.